G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you know, the freedoms of all Australians are under threat if the government gets its religious freedom legislation wrong. Now, there's an important deadline that's looming. When I say looming, we're talking tomorrow. Tomorrow, the 2nd of October. The Attorney-General has invited submissions which respond to the draft religious discrimination bill and tomorrow is the deadline. So this is your chance to have a say on this important law before it goes to Parliament to be voted on. Well, let's talk with our special guest today, Michael Callahan, who leads Freedom for Faith. He has been at the forefront of the defence of religious freedom ever since the marriage debate when the then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull promised to protect religious freedom. So there's lots of things to talk through and we'll try and do that in such a way as to uh, keep things in an orderly way so it doesn't sound like we're uh, picking one point and then uh, going to another. But Michael Kellahan, a special welcome along to 2020 to you. Great to have you with us. Are you, are you with morning, uh, Michael, uh, you have been uh, leading the charge on this and uh, you've made some fabulous contributions over the last couple of years, uh, significant things. Uh, a deadline tomorrow, uh, just reinforce for us just how significant it is uh, for listeners today to our conversation to think about what they might be able to do by way of a submission for the Attorney General. Uh, how important is this? Look, this is an important opportunity. Uh, The Attorney-General has come with what he said is is a draft uh, legislation, a draft bill, and uh, as a draft, it it has problems that they won't recognise. It has uh, mistakes that need to be fixed, and we've certainly drawn attention to a number of those things, and we've found that uh, you know the staff of the Attorney-Generals have been open to uh, uh, our, our submissions on that, uh, and the submissions of others. So uh, before this starts being fought over in Parliament as to exactly what the law is, it's best to get it in the best possible shape uh, as, as a bill. Uh, so that, that's what's happening right now. Okay, well, for some listeners today, they recognise that freedoms are under threat and no doubt there'll be people who are listening to our conversation saying, well, I've got to leave it to people who've got a legal head on their shoulders like Michael Callahan." Uh, and no doubt there is a special place for people who've got legal experience. But I suspect the sorts of submissions that will also be important are from people who are part of schools or campgrounds or aged care. Uh, and there must be room there for people who have even just a general concern about the direction that religious freedom is going in the nation. So what are your thoughts about who should actually make a submission for what the Attorney General is calling for? Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, and, and that very kind of question came up at our recent conference. Uh, we had a panel, and one of the uh, panellists was uh, Professor Nicaroni, uh, who was on the Ruddock panel. And he said in that inquiry, they had over 16,000 submissions put in. Overwhelming response. 
And he said it was really helpful that it was so big because it showed the, the level of concern. But you could think about the value of individual submissions really um, according to kind of who the person is and what they could bring to the table for the for the submission process. So, yeah, there certainly were uh, specialist technical kind of legal submissions put in by Freedom for Faith and um, and others in that in that kind of space. And if there are lawyers there who've got concerns, then they might find our stuff uh, useful on that. Uh, but the next category you might think of would be those who do have uh, a, a big concern because of the way this bill will affect um, their sector. So be that uh, employment rights around schools, be that uh, the way that aged care facilities or charities or campsites are treated. Like, if you're running a campsite and you're not putting a submission in, then, you know, it's a bit rough to complain afterwards about what this bill will do to you. So here's the chance now to say, look, you know, this doesn't deal adequately. And then the third kind of group would be those who say, look, I'm not sure exactly how to express the law on this. I'm, I'm no expert on the way a charity might be run, but this is something that concerns me. I'd like to see this dealt with well. The kind of concerns I've seen expressed by Freedom for Faith, by Australian Christian Lobby, by others, you know, that, that captures the, the concerns I have. And those kind of things are, are measured and noted uh, and go into the mix. Um, you know, someone said it's better to be uh, at the table than on the menu when it comes to the political process, and, and here's the chance. So this isn't a kind of panicky last minute, you know, get the submission in or... Um, you know, there, there's no hope. Uh, this is more saying this is a genuine opportunity for you to have a say in the process. Uh, so why wouldn't we want to be involved? Well, there has been submission processes all the way through to where we are right now and uh, to the point where we have a draft bill. Now, the fact that the draft bill is even distributed for public comment and now there are submissions on the draft bill, this gives us an idea where we're at. So uh, if we talk about the context of where we have come from to where we're going to. Uh, I mentioned that you've been at the forefront of this fight ever since the marriage debate. Give us a little, in a nutshell, what's happened with the developments to get us to this point and uh, and what the next step and why the next step is such an important one, Michael. Well, this really is the first step, I think, of, of law reform. So while there's been a huge um, process through the Ruddock inquiry about, you know, what law should, shouldn't do and, you know, where um, different rights should sit. This is the first time we're actually seeing, uh, uh, you know, the parliament consider how the law should change. And so it's the first step of reform. And it's the thing which the, uh, the Liberal National Party promised going into the last election. So it's them kind of delivering the, the uh, first of what will be a, probably a series of reforms in the area. What it does is it deals with um, religious discrimination. So it's, uh, it doesn't do everything, but what it, what it does is it says that uh, you're not a, a, able to discriminate against people uh, on the basis of their uh, religious beliefs. Okay, you've called this draft bill actually a good first stage of reform. So uh, recognising, of course, as you mentioned, that there are obviously problems there that needs, that's why you've got to put these submissions in because, uh, but a good first stage. So if we think of this as a, you know, a, a big stick ready to beat 
uh, uh, Christians around the ears with. Uh, is it that? Or, I mean, how seriously do you take uh, whether this is actually, you know, a monster uh, waiting to escape? Uh, give us a little bit of context here, Michael. Uh, look, I think um, what, what the bill will do will be to uh, deal with uh, the protection of religious freedom at a Commonwealth level in a way that hasn't been done before. So for a long time, um, we have had uh, very little legal protection for religious freedom. Uh, there's been a live and let live attitude and few lawyers involved. And, you know, the less lawyers and the less law, uh, the better things are, generally. Uh, but as the culture has shifted, um, as people have... Uh, um, been more prepared to go to lawyers and to bring complaints against uh, schools and so on, um, there's more of a need for clarity around those laws, especially when the, the laws vary so much from state to state. So in New South Wales, for instance, there's no protection of um, religious freedom or, or a person's religious beliefs under state anti-discrimination laws. So, you know, you can turn around and fire someone tomorrow for being, um, you know, a Muslim or a Methodist. Uh, there's no right at law, to, which surprises most people, you know. Um, and so what this will do, will clarify uh, at a Commonwealth level uh, what the laws are. And, you know, it's it's not overly ambitious in the way it does that. It, it really is saying that this sets it up alongside other forms of prohibited discrimination. So just as you can't discriminate against a person on the basis of age or gender or disability, so too uh, you can't discriminate against them on the basis of their religious beliefs. So that shouldn't be uh, contentious. Uh, that should actually be uh, something which we should be able to find bipartisan support for. Um, now, obviously, that issue uh, of... Um, you know, religious freedom has, has come to the fore through the marriage debate. Um, it's made big news through uh, Israel Folau uh, and others. Um, and while we could kind of wait for a decade of, you know, different issues bringing this to the fore, you know, um, how do we stand on conscience rights around euthanasia might be the next one then. Uh, it might be better to have in place a, a general law that protects the rights of people to hold a belief uh, in the country. And so it's it's really um, at, that, at that level, uh, we'd say it's well. Okay. What we're talking about here is a draft bill, and you're saying that the draft bill... Actually, it walks a, a bit of a fine line here because what happens at a Commonwealth level, uh, there's another dimension to all of that, and that is what happens in the states. So important mm. to get a Commonwealth-level statement here. And uh, so if we picked up on, say, an issue like employment, uh, the idea of uh, how you would uh, frame a somehow a solution. So uh, I'm just thinking of listeners who might be writing a note or two now thinking about what they might put in a submission. Uh, you've come up with some ways that you can say that there are some simple solutions. Uh, the idea of making positive statements 
uh, in the Religious Discrimination Act. Uh, what are your thoughts about how things are likely to be framed? Because there's this positive or negative, and there's uh, a positive way that you're saying we should look at these things. Yeah, so we um, we have um, uh, got a submission, and you can find it on our website. Sorry if I'll give a plug for that there, but it's freedomforfaith.org.au. And you'll see a discussion there of how it is we say that um, uh, the, the law might best be framed. Um, and it, it really is saying that... Um, um, pe- people should have the uh, freedom to um, uh, positively live out a belief. The, 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 you can hear the hesitation in trying to describe this. It is complicated uh, between state and federal law. And one of the problems we've had is that for a long time, religious freedom has just sat as uh, an exception to what would otherwise be forbidden. So uh, the uh, general prohibition against uh, discrimination on, on the basis of gender uh, sits there. You know, you, you can't discriminate against people on the basis of gender and employment, except for religious organisations. Now, why does that exist? Well, because when they set up that law, they recognised that um, uh, it would uh, create instant problems for something like, say, the Catholic Church, which is going to have um, uh, a male priesthood uh, and you don't want to suddenly have the Catholic Church being brought before the Human Rights Commission and having the answer as to uh, why it conducts its doctrine and beliefs in the way it does and so sensibly they, they, they long ago said there's an exemption there now those exemptions are, are really uh, harder and harder to defend at a popular kind of cultural level and look more and more like uh, licences for bigotry, for people to behave in ways that wouldn't otherwise be acceptable. And so there's been a big push to remove those exemptions. Um, the, the question, though, then becomes what's left. Uh, if, you, if you actually do that, then you're left with a whole bunch of um, organisations which may actually find it difficult to... Uh, live out their beliefs, structure their organisations, do their, do, uh, their institutions on the way that, um, uh, that they've always been formed. Um, and instead, everyone's going to be, you know, uh, march down to the Human Rights Commission, and the Human Rights Commission will be telling you what's acceptable doctrine and what's not. So what we've been arguing for for a long time has been to say, look, exemptions really aren't an appropriate way to um, protect these kind of rights, uh, and to understand what employment should be, mostly because it just it doesn't actually go to the heart of uh, what the Christian faith and what other faiths are doing when they actually uh, employ people according to their uh, beliefs. So for a Jewish hospital to say, you know what, we actually want to have Jewish staff here. So at the front desk, as soon as you're greeted, uh, the person you meet understands our mission. That's That's actually not us wanting to discriminate against other faiths. It's actually us wanting to give expression to who we are. And so that positive alternative of saying, you know, you actually have a right to uh, live out your beliefs, to manifest them, to employ people who hold those beliefs, 
uh, and be held accountable to that on a set of beliefs. That's a positive way of seeing things rather than a, a, a negative uh, exemption being done. I, so, get the, I get the impression that unless there is a positive statement in the Religious Discrimination Act uh, that we're going to be opening a, uh, a can of worms uh, and it will be a lawyer's picnic yeah. because uh, there'll be so much uh, legal battle going on uh, over those issues. Now, I like the wording that you have in your submission, and and uh, let me just repeat what your wording in your submission says, because I know for listeners who are thinking, you know, how do you actually put that into words? And if I'm making a submission, how do I reflect that? And I'll point people to how they can find this wording as well. But on this employment issue, you're saying here, Michael, we submit that there is a simple solution. The way to deal with this issue is to make a positive statement in the Religious Discrimination Act that it is lawful for a religious body, a faith-based educational institution or a charity established for religious purposes to appoint or prefer to appoint staff who practice the religion with which the organisation is associated, notwithstanding anything to the contrary in a state or territory law or in other Commonwealth legislation. I might just compliment you here, Michael. What beautiful wording. Because that uh, does seem to sum up, doesn't it, what a positive statement of religious uh, of uh, religious freedom would do. Yeah, and we, we think it provides a solution. So, uh, yeah. Well, I want to point listeners to how they can actually uh, make use of your submission because uh, there are some good things in your submission that people might like to take advantage of if they're making a submission themselves. And so the website is freedomforfaith.org.au. You can go to the Freedom for Faith website. You can read their submission to the Attorney General. And you know what? It's a legal document. So get ready to uh, go for a little bit tough going if you're not legally minded. But the deadline for this religious freedom submission is tomorrow. So have a look at freedomforfaith.org.au. There is a link there right on the front page where you can check out that. And that's uh, in the employment section there as to how that particular statement looks. But you'll avail yourself of uh, what those things are that are being argued in the Freedom for Faith submission. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Uh, wonderful to have you along with us today. An important conversation if you're just joining in. Michael Kellahan is our guest. He leads Freedom for Faith at the forefront of the defense of religious freedom. And there is a deadline tomorrow for religious freedom submissions to the Attorney General's office. Tomorrow is the deadline, the 2nd of October. And you can access the Freedom for Faith website and check out their submission. Uh, it may well be helpful to you if you're making your own submission and there is encouragement to do so. Uh, Michael, we'll take some calls in just a moment. I'll just remind listeners, 1-800-316-316. You might have a question or a comment to make about what's going on with religious freedom right now. But this consideration, this uh, bill is all about religious discrimination. It is as you say, the first stage, there are some much more contentious stages that are to come. Uh, give us a little context here as to where we're at in this debate. Yeah, that's right. So uh, this, this is the first stage. It's welcome, but it shouldn't really be the easiest one. It's about uh, whether you're able to discriminate against a person on the basis of their belief. 
uh, and really the actors think, no, no, you can't and you shouldn't, and, and this is what that discrimination looks like, and here's how it's prohibited, and here's the penalties. Um, the harder work, which is yet to come, and which this is not about, uh, this, this bill won't deal with this at all, is whether religious organisations themselves are able to discriminate against other people. Uh, so whether they get the kind of exemptions to the Sex Discrimination Act that saw all the, the uh, heat last year around schools and whether gay kids were being expelled from schools and gay teachers being um, sacked and so on. That, that's being dealt with by the Law Reform Commission. It's to get to. It's down the track. It's, it's not being dealt with now. What's being dealt with now is just the much narrower question about whether you can discriminate on the basis of uh, religious belief. Okay, our talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Andrew, who is in, is it Kyneton you're calling from, Andrew? That's correct, yep. Okay, well, welcome along. What are your thoughts? Uh, do you have a question for our guest? Well, just, just to endorse uh, what is his proposal for positive ways of employing people. I, it's a really vexing problem, and I've I've struggled with it, but... It just seems to clarify it to me, and the words that came to me, it's as in, far as employing people in religious organisations, it's just like a key selection criteria, like anywhere, any, you've got to have a skill of, or certain knowledge to do any job, therefore it's not discrimination, surely. Uh, good thoughts. Michael, have you got a, a thought on that? So is it just part of a selection criteria when you start to deal with those employment issues? Yeah, and I think, particularly when you say it's a you know, some kind of faith-based organisation. Like, the organisation wouldn't exist but for the for the belief. And so to ask people to hold that belief and to live it out shouldn't be an unreasonable thing. It's the same kind of argument you would get for, say, a political party or a, uh, you know, a, a, a environmental lobby group or something like that. You, you should be uh, able to easily say that, you know, to work here, you actually need to be committed to the kind of beliefs we have. You need to share that. Uh, and it's not okay for you to part-time be taking a stand against it. Andrew, if I can ask you, are you worried about what's happening so far as the government's legislation uh, plans go? Uh, any thoughts there? Well, I am, and uh, I just thank God that, that we have in government, the government we have with uh, Scott Morrison, but it, it's just... It's disappointing that, that, in fact, we've got to this point. I think that this is the basic tenets that our society grew on, and and now you have to justify continuing to, to, to build on that heritage. Mm. Uh, good thoughts. Is there a sense here, Michael, uh, you know, going back to uh, the Malcolm Turnbull basically throwing religious freedom under the bus in order to give us same-sex marriage, uh, there is a sense here in which uh, when he did that, he really did open up years of debate and challenge here. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, even on this idea that some people will be fearful and worried about what's coming? Uh, yeah, look, unquestionably we are where we are today because of, of you know, that very uh, odd political process and same-sex marriage, uh, but we can't reinvent that. I think what we need to do is focus on the future uh, and not be uh, caught up either by a kind of fearful alarmism that sees only conspiracies against us and everything is terrible. Uh, you know, that's not the case. Uh, but 
we can't be naive either. We can't say, well, you know, if we um, if, if we just ignore this, all will be well. There's a need at the moment for us to uh, uh, lean into the space, even as others might want to push us out, uh, and to do so really with the Christian convictions that have always um, driven people of faith uh, to say, you know, we're not here about asserting our own rights, but we, we, we wanted to live in public ways because that's the nature of the faith, uh, to love our neighbour, to do good, uh, to be a blessing to the city around. And, you know, that, that the very public commitment has led to the creation of schools and charities and hospitals. Um, so we must be wary of those who would say, your faith can only be a private thing once you enter into the public space. You need to be the same as a corporation, because we're not. Thank you so much to Andrew from Kyneton in Victoria. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Uh, let me ask you about the effect of international uh, law. Uh, thinking about the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, uh, of course, Australia is a signatory to that covenant, and within that covenant is the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. Uh, does that come into play with the sort of things that are being uh, that are going to be debated, undoubtedly, when this bill hits our parliament, Michael? Yeah, it's a wonderful statement of the kind of beliefs we'd like to see um, enacted in Australian law, but it never has been. So we, we've signed up for the treaty. The Commonwealth has an obligation to. Um, make sure that treaties it signs up to we actually do get um, put into effect in Australian law, uh, but it's never done that. Um, so, uh, and, and when we talk about the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion, what we're talking about here is not just a religious group. I guess we're talking about all Australians in all of that. Uh, so correct. there's a lot yeah. to lose for people who don't even hold a religious view, but they will still hold their own ideas about marriage and about uh, sexuality, about gender. Uh, it's all Australians, not just people who hold a religious faith. Yeah, and it's a question of if you don't have this right to hold and manifest that belief, then it it may be something something which your employer can control, which a corporation can control, which the um, state government can control. And uh, um, it, it really changes the, the, the shape of the public square and the freedoms that we all have under it. And, of course, when the bill is brought to the Parliament, uh, you'll have multiple views being argued there. Uh, interestingly, while you might have a more conservative element uh, on the government side and you might have a more left-wing element on the opposition side, uh, it's when it gets to the upper house and uh, there are people on crossbenches and uh, there's the Greens in the Senate. So even when this sort of legislation comes to the Parliament and then is being debated, uh, there's there's all sorts of opportunity there for our parliamentarians to change it either for the good or for the worse. Uh, what are your thoughts about when this one actually you know, gets to be voted on? Well, we, we need to see it in its final form first. And the Labor Party, understandably, are saying, look, we're holding our position uh, until we see it in that final form from the government. Uh, but our hope would be that uh, something like what we've got in the draft at the moment, hopefully with uh, some of the um, corrections that we and others have kind of offered uh, to improve the bill, 
something like that should go forward. And, and I think our starting point has to be that this should be something that the ALP quite comfortably uh, will support. Okay. Really, I think the first thing is not, you know, what might happen in the upper house, but it's, it's much more saying the Labor Party wants to take seriously um, freedom of belief, the concerns of, you know, everyday Australians and uh, the people that it, yep. it says it, it uh, didn't listen to carefully enough at the last election. Michael, we'll talk some more about this after the news. About to go sure. to news, freedomforfaith.org.au is where you can hear, or you can see the, sub, the submission we're talking about today that's coming from Freedom for Faith. Michael Callahan's our guest. We're back with more after Vision National News. Uh, Michael Callahan, uh, let's uh, turn our attention for a few uh, minutes on the idea that there are some big problems in the bill. And uh, while we've talked about some foundations in the lead-up to uh, this part of our conversation, there are some big problems, and you're drawing attention to them in your submission. Uh, what are the biggest problems that you uh, like to identify? I think one of the major concerns we'd have would be around the employment rights of faith-based organisations. So some of those problems come just by poor drafting. Others, I think, by misunderstanding of you know what uh, a religious organisation is. So if, if you think of poor drafting first, uh, there's an intent for uh, schools to be able to employ people who, who hold the faith. But when you look at the actual uh, drafting and you get down to the tic-tacs of it and the explanatory memorandum which explains how the drafting is um, to be understood, uh, you, you see that the examples given are consistently... Uh, you know, a school can have all uh, Christian staff um, uh, and 100% in, in, of uh, employees holding the faith. That will be fine. Um, the problem with that is uh, almost no schools do that. Almost no schools will have 100% of people holding the faith. It will instead be a mix because even if that's their intent, uh, in fact, it's hard to find employees. And so, you know, sometimes you'll... Uh, have someone who um, doesn't hold the faith or you'll have other schools which are quite comfortable with a mix of uh, people within the school and, and want to say, look, you know, we want to have 50%, 70% staff of people who hold this up. What this bill does is it comes in and says, well, you really need to have a policy which says everyone must, uh, otherwise no one can. Um, that's a real problem because what it will then do is it will leave schools without the protections which are here under the under the bill and effectively uh, faith-based schools will have to conduct their employment policies really the same as at the local high school apart from perhaps you know senior leadership and a chaplain or something like that uh, they won't have the kind of employment rights that the bill says it wants to give uh, so there are problems there in the way it's been drafted Okay. Which we, which we assume are oversight rather than intent. But if if they slip it through, um, uh, suddenly faith-based schools won't, won't be able to be faith-based in their employment. Interestingly, when you say slip it through and you draw our attention to the explanatory memorandum, and uh, for most of us, I imagine, we'll just think of that as the fine print or... Uh, wondering whether uh, that actually, as the explanation for the bill, uh, whether the devil is in the detail in that explanatory uh, memorandum. And that's something that, that you've been paying attention to, Michael. 
Yeah, it's, it's, think of it as a kind of aid to understanding the, the Act. So while a court is always going to look at the legislation itself, they'll also look to this explanatory memorandum to help understand what's being meant. And, and there is a gap uh, at a few points between the explanatory memorandum uh, and the legislation. So even where the legislation is kind of okay, the examples which are given in, in the explanatory memorandum are really unhelpful. So the next uh, example would be a good one of that, where um, religious organisations uh, are dealt with uh, to say, look, if you're a religious organisation, then you're able to conduct yourself as a religious organisation to employ uh, according to police and so on. Uh, so it becomes really important to understand who a religious organisation is. Uh, and while churches and schools, you might think, comfortably sit within that, the question is, where does the line get drawn? You know, is, is a faith-based aged care organisation, uh, is, that, is that a religious organisation? Or is a faith-based charity? So when you look to St. Vincent de Paul or an Anglicare or something like that, should that, be able to say we're a religious organisation. We're not the same as um, uh, Bupa or whoever the commercial operators might be in the same kind of aged care space. Uh, and the test which is given for that in this legislation is a is a, not a great one. Okay. What it says is that if there's a if it, if you're undertaking commercial activities. Uh, and the explanatory mem- memorandum says, you know, in the secular marketplace, uh, then you're not a religious organisation. Well, now, that, that's really important that. because uh, when we talk about the sorts of commercial activities that a lot of churches run, uh, and you might, I don't know whether that actually includes like, you know, an op shop uh, or, yep. uh, you know, we talk about campsites. Uh, there might be uh, child care or aged care facilities. All of those are the sorts of commercial operations that churches do involve themselves in, perhaps wedding chapels and all sorts of things like that. Uh, there might be a whole lot of big, str- big string of uh, uh, list of things that commercials uh, that uh, churches typically involve themselves in. So what you're saying here, Michael, is that all of those would be categorised differently under the government's draft bill. No, they'd fail to be religious organisations and therefore they wouldn't be protected by this religious discrimination bill at all. Okay, that's very Uh, significant, isn't it? They wouldn't be able to say, um, we want to employ people who hold this faith. They wouldn't be able to even advertise uh, on that kind of basis. To do so would be an offence. So it's very significant. Uh, And it it sits at odds with the way that um, charity legislation has dealt with these kind of organisations as well. So... You know, I was doing a presentation the other day at a Baptist church where you walked. I walked in, and it's actually got a sports centre uh, and a men's shed uh, and uh, a church all meeting on the same site, which is church-owned and run. And this act kind of wants to cut up the church into different bits to kind of say, look, well, this bit's a religious organisation and that bit's not, and... Um, you really, it, it really doesn't work though. Once you once you start understanding that the very reason they set up these, uh, uh, you know, sports centre was to, to actually help build community in the local area. So if the government starts um, acting against uh, this kind of building of social capital, 
it's, it's not good for anyone in the country. Oh, no. Uh, because the churches have been great at doing this. That's why we have the schools, the charities, the hospitals. And, and uh, to say that, you know, you're entering into the secular marketplace, well, I think it's completely backwards. I think it's more that secular operators have tried to step into the care of the aged and running hospitals and so on and have not done it as well as um, the churches. Yes, the, the churches are often setting the benchmark standard for care and uh, in caring uh, industries. Uh, we don't want the church to be relieved of that uh, right and responsibility. So, uh, yes, that's an important area. And for those who are looking for a reason to write a submission to uh, send into the Attorney General's office, uh, that's uh, certainly a good one. Uh, we're taking calls, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take a call. Chris is in Melbourne. Hi, Chris. Welcome along. Uh, thank you, Neil. Yeah, just a couple of quick comments. I just uh, hope that Dr. Augusto Zimmerman is uh, giving advice to a lot of these organisations, you know, because he knows what it's all about. And secondly, um, uh, this gentleman, your submission uh, on your website, why wasn't it turned into like a petition that ordinary Christians could sign? Because, you know, they're not an organisation, but a lot of ordinary Christians would have like clicked on and signed your petition, which is your submission. Uh, your thoughts here, Michael, or Chris? Uh, always open to feedback like that. And uh, I've got a new operation manager starting just next week. And uh, I'll make sure that's one of the things we discuss. Okay. Uh, Chris, good thoughts there. And I think what you're saying too here, Chris, uh, is that when you've got fabulous, well-written submissions, uh, somehow or other getting those into the public sphere uh, for people to comment and to digest a lot of that content actually is a really valuable thing. So, Chris from Melbourne, thank you so much for your call. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. if you'd like to join in our conversation. Uh, let me ask you, Michael, uh, when we talk about the way that the, the draft bill uh, would be, uh, you know, eventually become law, and then uh, you're talking about all of these different grey areas, and grey areas would be administered by the Human Rights Commission uh, here. And that in itself is problematic because you've got a government bureaucracy uh, telling people what religious freedom is. Uh, what are your thoughts for uh, for how it would be administered uh, ultimately? Well, one of the major things that comes actually under this bill is the appointment of a religious freedom commissioner under the uh, Human Rights Commission. And so for the first time, you'd actually have a um, dedicated commissioner with a specialist knowledge of uh, religious freedom uh, wanting to uh, raise advocacy around this um, uh, area. So that that would be a significant change. It's one that we um, pushed for in our submission to the Ruddock Inquiry. It's one that the Ruddock Inquiry said no to, and the government came back and said yes to. Um, and of all, this, all the areas that we uh, advocated for in our submission to the Ruddock Inquiry, I think this is the one that's got the most pushback from um, other Christian groups uh, who said, look, can we positively work with government at all in this space? Can there be any kind of trust of the Human Rights Commission? Um, uh, are there dangers that come from the appointment of a religious freedom commissioner? 
So with the Religious Freedom Commissioner, and, uh, you know, listeners can hear that you're actually advocating for one, uh, I, I guess where it comes it becomes problematic is that uh, when there are changes of government and uh, where there are some who are going to be favourable towards religious organisations and some who are less favourable uh, to religious organisations, what happens when the less favourable religious... Uh, when the less favourable... Uh, uh, attention to religious detail uh, becomes the focus of the Human Rights Commission. Therefore, you've got somebody else, perhaps even an atheist, who would be in control of this. This is something that could change ultimately over time. Yeah, and look to that, we would say that a bad appointment, and that may or may not be a person of faith, you know. Um, yeah. you, you may well have an atheist who's got a very robust commitment to the protection of freedom for all, but... Uh, you know, let's say a bad appointment um, I just doesn't actually have the power to do much bad. Um, there, there's not a lot of teeth which are given to a religious freedom commissioner under uh, this bill. Uh, but there is a tremendous kind of uh, opportunity on the other side for them to be able to speak into the space and to be able to raise questions of religious freedom at all levels of government across the country. And so... Uh, it's a bit like a bully pulpit almost being given for this issue and so if someone is to step into that pulpit who you've got no confidence in then it would just be a question of uh, eye rolling I think from the from the churches disappointed that this person actually doesn't speak for them um, and that message I think would get through very quickly but if it's a person who does actually understand um, that we live in a country where there are people with different beliefs and we need to be able to live together well that religious freedom is key uh, to that, um, and that is focused on achieving uh, solutions and better outcomes of law, uh, then it does become uh, a, a position which can do much more good than is being done at the moment, where religious freedom is being dealt with as a kind of almost a second-class right in uh, some of the human rights discourse, uh, certainly given less attention by a lot of governments and is seen as something which can really needs to kind of drop away against other rights. So we're saying, look, let's give it the status it deserves and uh, let's work uh, with the government towards achieving something better rather than um, kind of uh, having a, a strategy of withdrawal and saying this is all too hard and I'll only ever appoint people who are bad and kind of cynically dismissing. So uh, what I can hear you say is that this is a risk worth taking because, yes, there is a risk that things could go bad, that a poor appointment might put an atheist in control of religious freedom, but what it does is it ultimately creates an opportunity for reform uh, if another incoming government then replaces that with their commissioner, uh, that you can actually bring about reform for religious freedom. Whereas if you've just got uh, two sides of uh, government arguing, uh, then that's actually more problematic. So having someone as, as the Religious Freedom Commissioner actually has some positive possibilities. Okay, and, and and I think if uh, if there's a terrible appointment which is made, then that actually reflects um, to all people of faith um, the the priority that the government gives to this issue. Yeah. So I think uh, it becomes again a test. Uh, if you say that you want to treat this issue with seriousness that it deserves, then let's judge it on the basis of the appointments that you make 
on the basis of the laws which you pass. That's what we were saying before the break um, uh, in relation to ALP. Like, I think this becomes a test for them. You know, you, you say that you want to reconnect with people of faith, that you need to uh, do these kind of things. Well, uh, here's your opportunity. Let's, mm-hmm. um, let, let's see where, uh, what stand you take on this legislation as it comes before the House. Okay, running short of time, lots to talk about. Let me bring into our conversation here for a moment Israel Folau. Uh, Of course, that case is running parallel to our debate all about religious freedom and uh, run parallel to this bill. Uh, The idea that, you know, would a religious freedom legislation actually defend the likes of an Israel Folau? Is this something that uh, really is front and centre in the whole religious freedom argument? How do you see Israel Folau and and how he would be treated uh, under the proposed laws? Look, I think his uh, rights actually stand under the current laws. So I think he, he may well be vindicated uh, by the courts uh, on the basis of the Commonwealth Fair Work Act as it stands. And we'll find out next year whether that's the case or not. Um, but certainly this bill uh, includes a kind of religious, uh, a Israel Folau type clause. Um, and there's another clause, which is like a Qantas clause, um, uh, that, that attempts to deal with that kind of thing. The, the reason it's in there is because uh, Israel Folau keeps raising this issue for the government and the opposition. Neither of them particularly welcome it, I don't think. I think they'd rather quietly have this legislation passed without it kind of hitting the front page. But it seems every other week um, Folau has a way of finding the, the front page of the um, papers. Doubtless our World Cup campaign will uh, help that again. But uh, uh, it becomes a test for the government because people are saying, well, what does this do for Falau? Have you got robust enough protection in to uh, protect the Israel Falau type situation? And it, it uh, gives a, a face to the kind of concerns which um, people have about freedom of speech on social media and in workplace uh, situations, you know. Does the corporation have the right to control uh, speech of its employees uh, in, in their um, uh, social media and so on? So it's interesting to see the unions come on board uh, in part uh, expressing concerns about this as well. So, look, I don't think the Falau case itself is probably going to be the great test case that will change the world. It may be, but I, I doubt it. Um, who knows? how that will be decided but I would say that you can very very easily demonstrate that uh, Falau has changed the political landscape um, that, that every politician now needs to be attuned to the kind of concerns which are raised by the case and because of that the bill is in partly because of that the bill is in the shape it is uh, and it's doing the kind of things it tries to do um, so without getting drawn into the technical, you know, how would the bill protect and so on, yes, I think it, it, it does uh, make clearer uh, the kind of rights that uh, a Falao-type situation would have um, without solving everything, but, it, 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 you know, it certainly attempts to do that.
Well, we all empathize, uh, people of faith, with Israel Folau because as an employee, a Christian employee in any organization, not just rugby union, but any organization, uh, they're affected by the outcome of what happens with Israel Folau. And so uh, let's come back because we've only got a couple of minutes to go. Uh, I know that part of this conversation is to draw attention to the deadline for the religious freedom submissions to the Attorney General and tomorrow is the deadline for this particular element, this first stage. And uh, for people who are looking for some sort of guidance, uh, as you mentioned, you could go to the Australian Christian Lobby and there'll be lots of different uh, Christian organisations who are making submissions and they'll all have worthy things uh, to be submitting to the Attorney General. But certainly, as we've been pointing and drawing attention to the Freedom for Faith website, where you can check out the submission there that Michael has been in charge of, uh, leading the charge for, at freedomforfaith.org.au. Uh, we mentioned a little earlier, and perhaps worth re-in, uh, just uh, reinforcing here, Michael, uh, the sort of people who would make a submission. You've got lawyers. Obviously, you want lawyers to get their head around the detail. Then you've got people who are involved in churches, schools, campsites, aged care, child care, all those things we mentioned. Every one of those is affected, and you're calling on them too, as well as people who are general public people who might not necessarily be connected to those, but they've got a concern about religious freedom. Just uh, reinforce for us for a moment here what you would like people to do who are listening to our conversation today, given that tomorrow is the deadline. Uh, yeah, look, I would say this is a great opportunity now to be putting a submission in. It's not complicated. Contact details are there. Uh, it's as simple, really, as sending an email through. If you're an organisation, uh, if you're part of an organisation which is affected... Uh, I would say this is kind of um, triply, quadruply important that uh, everything is happening reasonably quickly and so that they do appreciate that things are coming last minute but um, for you to be able to say look we are this Christian campsite we have X thousand people that come through uh, the site we're only driven by Christian convictions and the thought that uh, you know, opening up to school groups means that we're, we're disqualified as a religious organisation would would um, kill us uh, uh-huh. in terms of the way we operate. Something that simple uh, would have a profound impact because right now the drafters of the Attorney Generals are really trying to understand what the effect of this bill would be and they don't understand the sector necessarily. So um, if there are people there in that situation, that would be helpful. And the more people... I'm a general citizen and concerned, uh, the more the politicians understand the kind of political stakes which are involved. There's no question that the 16,000 submissions that came into Ruddick um, really uh, captured the attention of uh, both sides of politics and made them realise that we can't treat this as something that can be um, dealt with without, um, uh, without people being focused on it. Uh, so to be able to say, look, uh, there is genuine, uh, reasonable uh, and focused concern uh, is, a, is a significant thing. And the more the, it will, our position would be hopeless if, if it was just the you know, freedom for faith and 
Okay. So, Michael, even the general submission, even that person who has a general interest, uh, a paragraph, uh, will count as a submission. Uh, And for those who are able to go into a little more detail, your submissions will be important too. Michael Callahan. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.